0: Welcome to an audio stream from San Marino Community Church, featuring our own pastoral staff and various guest speakers. Will you please go with me in prayer to our Lord? God, we thank you for this day, for the blessings that you have extravagantly poured out to us. We pray that the words that you have given us and the stories of those who have gone before us would now teach us and reveal you to us in deeper and wider ways. Illuminate our mind, Holy Spirit. May we be attentive to the wonderful things in which you would lead us to do. And we pray these things in the name of our Savior Jesus, Amen. When I was growing up, I can remember my mom getting so irritated at my my, uh, dad and myself because we would laugh hysterically at old Laurel and Hardy and Abbott and Costello and Three Stooges films. She had no time for that kind of nonsense. She didn't think it was funny when adults fell down and got hit by boards. And uh, she would just shake her head and complain that we were cruel at laughing at people getting hurt. But to be honest, it still makes me laugh. And I think it makes me laugh because I'm one of those people who falls down all the time. I just happen to be really a clumsy person. I was, I've been clumsy since I was a child. I love sports, I'm terrible at each and every one. But I would always wanna be on the team and I would always be the one to fall down. My most recent calamity was right outside the church here. I didn't do it in a small way. I did it on the evening that the youth were meeting. So they were all gathered out front, all of our young people. And I came across the street, and I tripped over the curb, and I threw myself forward. And in doing that, I disconnected the panic button off of my my key ring. And so this loud panic siren went off, And then I was carrying a soda, and the soda spilled up like that all over my glasses. I couldn't see, and my dress came up over my head. So (laughs) I didn't do it in a small way. And everybody turned and looked, including the kids. And then they did the, the funniest thing. They just turned around and kept talking, like, well, that's just Pastor Jan. She's falling down again. There's just something comical to me about adults, including myself, in situations that are so undignified and goofy. But most people, including myself, we have the opposite reaction to seeing ourselves or others, adults especially, whose emotions have broken through the barriers and who can no longer contain their deep mourns, their deep mourning pain, or they're streaming tears. And our text today is, I think, one that pitches us into that deep and uninhibited sorrow, where the surroundings disappear and the only thing present is the flood of sorrow and seeking that pours from the heart of the outsider. Listen then to the word of God from Luke seven thirty-five through 50. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And a woman in the city, who was a sinner, having learned that he was eating in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster jar of ointment. She stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to bathe his feet with her tears and to dry them with her hair. Then she continued kissing his feet and anointing them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw it, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. Jesus spoke up and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, he replied, speak. A certain creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debts for both of them. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the greater debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? have been forgiven. Hence she has shown great love, but the one to whom little is forgiven loves little. Then he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. But those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The word of the Lord. When you hear the wrenching sounds of those who weep, you really never forget. When you've heard your own sound so deeply coming from the deepest part of yourself, you never forget. And there's something that reaches deep inside of you, and there's a chord of shared ancient despair and mourning that comes out of you. I wonder how many of us remember the last time we had a really deep cry. I remember it was a time probably about maybe now 15 years ago when all of my life had fallen apart. Everything I'd known to be true was in question. And I stood in this closet. It was actually a you could walk into it. And it was a time that was supposed to be a celebration and gathering. And I went in, back into my bedroom and stood in the closet and just wept. And then a few minutes later, my daughter came to find me. And she came into the closet. And we stood there with our arms around each other just weeping. And then my son-in-law came and found both of us and put his big arms around us and held us. And we all wept together. When that happens, I think we are often, most often, moved by that. We are moved for others, as my daughter was moved for me, my son-in-law was moved for us, and all the other people that ended up in the closet. We want to comfort. We want to understand, to offer sympathy, to to empathize. But pay attention to this story. Simon, the Pharisee, was unmoved. Her her tears didn't soften his heart. Her humiliation did not evoke tenderness or compassion. Why was he unmoved? Was it because she was a woman? Or was it because of her sin? You know, it's very interesting that the mythology that surrounds this particular scripture, the scriptures don't shed any light whatsoever on the nature of her sin, which indicates that it's not that important to the story. But over the years, the story has been added onto by preachers and teachers who automatically interpreted her sins as being sexual, where it never says anything of the sort. Even promoting the idea that she was a prostitute. But the scriptures don't substantiate our modern day charges against her. The scriptures simply say that she was a woman with many sins to forgive. Now, to put this in perspective, you have to understand that there were a list of 616 laws that the Jews must not break. Because in breaking them, each and every single one of them was a sin. And they were considered a sinner. We don't know what her sin was. Perhaps it was number 23 in that list. She didn't read the Shema in the morning and at night. Love the Lord your God. Maybe it was number 29. She told tales about other people. Maybe it was number 63. She wasn't able to bear children. That was a sin. Maybe it was number 150. She ate a worm that was in fruit. Or maybe it was number 367. She wore a garment made of wool and linen mixed together. Or 520, she ate fresh ears of the new grain before a certain time. Or maybe it was number 603, she destroyed a fruit tree. Breaking any one of these or the 606 remaining laws would have made her a sinner. That's why Jesus could so easily say in the face of another woman in another situation, whoever hasn't sinned, pick up a stone and cast it. Whoever hasn't broken one of these 616 laws, go ahead. And because we have so often repeated this assumption of the nature of her sin... We also began to view her actions as erotic or flagrant. But by doing that, by misreading or mythologizing this particular story, we're threatened with diminishing the impact of this encounter to a morality tale, thinking that's a story about her sin rather than what it's really about. In fact, we, we are threatened with missing the whole point to the story. To our minds, the actions of the woman may seem cringeworthy and uncomfortable. But in reality, in reality, her actions were misdemeanor compared to the felony actions of Simon the Pharisee. Was Simon unmoved because of her sin? Or was he unmoved because of his prejudgment of Jesus? Of his suspicion of the sins of Jesus? Simon was trained, you see, to observe distinctions like those that exist between clean and unclean, sin and righteousness. So a thought arises deep in his soul, ready to be spoken. If this man were a prophet, he would have known what kind of woman this was. He wouldn't have allowed her to touch him. The logic is deeply ingrained. Once we know what kind of woman, what kind of person then we would hold ourselves carefully, with caution, far away. One doesn't want to get too close. After all, what would other people think? The true action of this text is not in the sins of the woman, but in the way Jesus contrasts Simon's hospitality towards him with the hospitality of the sinner towards him. It's a tale for all of us. Simon felt only judgment and disdain in his heart. And this judgment and disdain were not particularly directed at this woman. He literally felt nothing for her. Simon's judgment and disdain were directed towards Jesus. He was unmoved by Jesus. He doesn't welcome Jesus with the basic practice of hospitality that any host would give a guest in the ancient Mideast. There was no kiss of greeting. There was no water for cleansing the feet, no oil for anointing the head, no towel for drying, nothing. Simon did not treat Jesus as an honored guest. He made his heart and intentions clear by his lack of basic good graces and manners. His behavior was an insult to Jesus. It was a rejection of Jesus as a spiritual leader and, in essence, a rejection of the message of Jesus. He was unmoved by the message of Jesus. He was unmoved by the message of liberation and jubilation and love by Jesus. And Jesus responds to the interior thought of his host. Simon, he addresses him. And Simon responds, Speak, teacher. Then the parable is heard by Simon, the woman. And this parable was heard by everybody in the house. A certain creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debts for both of them. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the greater debt. Of course, Simon was certain the woman owed the greater debt from the very beginning. And Jesus said to him, You have judged rightly. What Jesus does is he holds a mirror up for Simon to see. And the church of Simon, all of those who would be in that mindset, the church of Simon would declare, I attend church regularly, I tithe my money, I read the Bible. I teach Sunday school. I don't kick dogs or I'm not mean to cats. I'm not like the sinner who stays at home on Sundays and never shares. And I'm going to be honest with you. If my salvation depended on what I do, then maybe a lot of us would be okay. But it doesn't. Our salvation has nothing to do with what we do. Jesus let Simon know that whether you have sinned a little, as a Pharisee was very intentional about knowing and keeping as many of those 616 laws as possible, or whether you sinned a lot in breaking more of those laws, both are the same. They are both in need of the forgiveness that only God can provide because God chooses to, not because we've earned it. You can be sure that the gratitude and relief will be greater for the one who feels most connected, for those of us who feel most unworthy of grace, for those of us who feel most unloved and unlovable. Our gratitude will be much greater than those who feel like they have efficiently covered as many of the sins as possible by their own actions. Jesus is moved by the woman and her tears. And Jesus asks Simon this profound question. He says, do you see this woman? For those among us like Simon, I think it's become second nature not to see, not to see those people who don't measure up to certain moral or religious standards, who do things that make us cringe or uncomfortable in public. But Jesus adds up the woman's actions towards him and measures them against Simon's actions. And all of a sudden, Simon is, Simon is confronted with a massive reversal that has taken place. See this woman, Jesus says. This woman has assumed the role of a gracious host at the banquet that Simon threw. And Jesus asks Simon in the church of Simon, Jesus asks each one of us, do you see this woman? And I ask you, are we unmoved by the pain and despair of people who are in desperate need? Do we first ask if they are morally fit to be among us, having judged their lives without knowing their story or caring? I can remember serving in a church some years ago in which we sat at a deacon's meeting And the deacons meeting centered around giving food to those who were hungry, who stood on the street corners in our town. The deacons mostly felt very much like we should continue that ministry, which we had been doing, going out on Friday afternoons and delivering sandwiches. But there was one person who raised their hand and said, we don't know anything about those people. And what if one of them is not documented? What if one of them is illegal? Or what if one of them is an abuser? Or what if, and she began listing all these reasons that we need to know more about them before we give them food. She was unmoved. She was paralyzed in her judgment. Do we first ask if they are morally fit to be among us? Are we unmoved by Jesus and the message of Jesus? When we were in Malawi, I remember every time we entered a ministry of Hope Center or, or went to a village well where a, where a well had been dug instead of this, this stagnant pit of water where they had been getting their, their drinking water. We were greeted by people with kisses and we were anointed with song and dance And we were sent away with the most precious commodity that particular village could offer us. We walked away with a a basket of eggs one time. One time, we walked away with a live chicken. We didn't know what to do with the chicken. The chicken was not house trained on our bus. But we persevered, and we gave it to the next village. But they were lavish, and they were extravagant with what little they had. They were the hosts who prepared an incredible feast of shared community and joy in welcoming fellow members of the body of Christ. They were not judgmental of what we had and that we drove up in a big bus and that we had new shoes and cameras. They didn't judge us. They loved us. We didn't ask each other on those trips and those meetings about one another's sins. We were not interested in one another's accomplishments. We were simply people sharing the same bond of gratitude and relief that we have a Savior named Jesus, whom God did not send into the world to condemn the world, us, but in order that the world, us, might be saved through him. Now listen, here's the incredible thing. God is moved by us God's heart is broken for us. Imagine that. Even with our ragged spirits and petty schemes, even with our hurtful and hateful behaviors, even with our lack of hosting graces, even when we don't come to church on Gratitude Sunday, which is notorious among Christian churches, by the way, Even then, God is moved by us. We never know what may cause our tears. The sight of the Atlantic Ocean can do it. Maybe, like Natalie said, there are happy tears at times. Maybe it's a piece of music or a face we've never seen before. It's a pair of somebody's old shoes can do it. A shattered dream, a broken heart, a miracle. The smell of rain, we don't know. We can never be sure. But of this you can be sure whenever you find tears in your eyes, especially unexpected tears. It's well well worth it to pay close attention. They are not only telling you something about the secret of who you are, but more often than not, God is speaking to you through them of the mystery of where you have come from and summoning you to where, if your soul is to be saved, you should go next. So, friends, let us follow the host at the banquet. Let us follow what she taught us. Hold nothing back. If we could be a church that wept loudly with every part of our being at the very thought of Jesus, if we could be ones that held nothing back, that extravagantly gave from what we have, that we provided a lavish experience of the presence of Christ with song and praise and spirits that soar, if we could be a church that welcomed all who come without judgment, without prejudice, without suspicion, if we could be a church that welcomed all as long lost family, finally home, then we would be the church that was moved. We we would be the church of Jesus Christ. God, we thank you that we are your church. We love you. Amen.